as we go back to John 18, as we pick up the story where we, where we were at with Jesus coming to this point where the culmination of this work that he'd come to do on earth is, is really beginning to unravel, uh, we see John sharing this story a little differently than the other gospel writers shared it. John is, and he's done this all the way through his book, his purpose, you know, remembering that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, remembering that the Holy Spirit gave him these words, but but used John as a vessel to, to share this truth. John's purpose and his intention was always to demonstrate Jesus, not just simply as a man, but to show us that he was so much more than that, to, to, to demonstrate his divinity and, and, the, and the purpose of his coming, but, but also to call us to believe in him. And in fact, at the end of his book, that tell, that's why he tells us he wrote it, so that, so that his readers, the people that would be reading it later, would come to believe or that they'd have an opportunity to believe. And so we see Jesus at every point, at every step through John's gospel, exalted, just being raised up and being put in a place where, where he, can be, he should be and is worthy to be praised and even as we come to this last step, this, this, this last part of his gospel is Jesus is facing the cross. Everything seems like it's being, you know, it seems like it's unraveling and it's unfolding and, and just everything is falling apart, you know, from, from a human perspective, from, from his disciples' perspective. Everything is just falling apart. It's coming undone. Everything that they had worked for for, for three years as they followed Jesus and, and everything that they looked forward to, it's just, it, 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 it appears that it's coming apart. And the Jews, you know, as they looked at Jesus, they had this hatred for him. They, they, they had this, 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 they despised him and, and it was intense. And so, in fact, it's so intense that today we're going to see them team up with another enemy to try and defeat him. And, and in this moment, you know, the, these Jews, boy, they're thinking that they've got it. They, th- they, they think that, oh, we're winning. We're about to beat him. We're about to overcome. We're about to get rid of this guy. And the reality is that Jesus always knew what was happening. And John shows us over and over and over, even in a moment like this, that Jesus was never out of control. That Jesus always knew what was happening. In fact, that, that, that all that was occurring was part of the sovereign plan of God unfolding as it had always been intended to. And John picks Jesus up and he says, it's about him. He's the center. He's the focus. He's who we should follow. He's who we should trust in. He's who we should worship. He's who we should adore. And even in this moment, you know, everything, everything, everybody's perspective is so different. But we see Jesus as John reveals him. And we see him high and lifted up and we see him exalted. We see the fallenness and, and, and how, how different these perspectives are. How Jesus is looking down and, and knowing that he's in full control. He, he knows that everything that's happening has been planned to happen. And as we see Jesus, we can't help but see ourselves exposed for who we really are. And so as we've approached this passage in, in John chapter 18 and 19 and into 20, as we've approached this, I told you we're going we're gonna to look at it with, with two questions in mind. What does it say about Jesus? And what does it say about God? Or I'm sorry, what does it say about us? What does it say about Jesus or God? And what does it say about us? How does it, how does it expose Jesus for who he really is? And how does it expose us for who we really are? Because here's the deal. Here's the, and this is true. This is, this is not something you can get away from. 
whether you're a believer or not, your life is inextricably woven together with the story of the gospel. Here's how it works. You see, you're a believer. You're saved by the gospel. You're not a believer. You're condemned by the gospel. You cannot get away from Jesus. He is inextricably, inextricably woven into the lives of every person that has ever lived. You see, the Bible teaches clearly that we are all fallen short of the glory of God, that we are sinners, all fallen short of the glory of God. Simply put, that just means that we aren't what we were created to be. You were meant to be so much more. I was meant to be so much more. Everyone that has ever lived and will ever live was meant to be so much more. You see, we were created. We were created with the express purpose of worshiping God and enjoying Him. And truly, enjoying Him brings worship and adoration to Him. So it's all about worship. It's all about exalting this God who created us. And then He says, you're going to rule and subdue the earth. We don't even do that. But we consume from it and we use it and we abuse it and we, and, and, and we, and we consume from it so selfishly that we truly begin to be revealed as fallen and not all that we were meant to be. But God chose to redeem. God chose to restore. God chose to reconcile. And so this was going to take a very special plan. His creation, the creation that He had created to worship, rebelled. It was going to take something very special. Because if He was to ignore that, if He was to turn from it and just, and just overlook it, He would no longer be the Holy Righteous and just God that the Bible reveals him to be. He had to, to, to bring justice. It was going to require a very special plan. But in the earth, in, in, in the people that would, would live, in, in, the, in the things that would come from our fallenness, there was nothing that could stand in our place. Until he chose to send his son. So that whoever would believe could have eternal life. You see, God always knew it would be Jesus. And so everyone from the point of Adam and Eve standing in the garden, hearing the curse, listening to the words of God, they are told that one is coming that would overcome. And everyone that had lived since them to the time of Jesus had looked forward, trusting in God's Word, looking forward to the coming Messiah, not knowing what He would look like, not knowing how He would act, not knowing exactly what He would do, but knowing that God would fulfill His promises and send one to overcome and provide redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. And everyone that has lived since Jesus has looked back, trusting that Jesus was the one, or denying that He wasn't. You see, we cannot separate ourselves from this story. Whether you're here today as a believer or an unbeliever, Jesus is woven into the fabric of every person's life. And so as we look to the Scripture and as we see Him exalted, we can't help, we, we, we can't miss that as He's exalted and shown to be divine, we can't miss 
that He is all that we were ever meant to be. He is that perfect man who lived with no sin. He is humbly obedient in all things to His Father. And so Jesus, as He stood there, challenged by this, this race of people that He had come to, to save, He was not surprised. He was not out of control. He was following His Father's will. As we turn to the passage, and having that in mind, in John 18, it really begins to unfold for us. We see Jesus go to a place where He knew that they would find Him. We see Jesus go to a garden that Judas knew about, and, and Judas went and gathered this hundreds of people. He brings them to the garden. He, he brings them right up to Jesus and, and, and betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. He had no doubt that those things would occur. In fact, the, the, the Scripture tells us in John 18 that he did it with full knowledge of all that would occur, all that would happen in that evening. He had no doubt where the evening would start and where it would end. He had no doubt what the next morning held and what the next afternoon, he, he knew it all. He knew that going into that garden led him to the cross. He knew that as he was led from the garden, arrested, arrested, cuffed, and, and, and bound, humbling himself to be, to be pushed around and, and be manhandled by, by people who at any moment he could handle. At any moment, he could have taken them out. At any moment, he could have had them destroyed. At, with, with a word, he could have freed himself. He could have been done. But he allows himself to be bound and taken away as if he were a common criminal. As if he were some, some lower than low, selfless or, or selfish, um, uh, uh, hated individual. And they bring him, and they bring him to the high priest. And the high priest, it says to us, it's, it tells us in the passages that we've read so far in John 18, it says that the high priest didn't question him on anything of legal standing. He didn't, he, he, hey, did you murder somebody? Didn't we see you do some terrible thing to this person? He questioned him on his theology as if they didn't know what he was teaching. They had heard his teaching. They knew that he was teaching the things that he was teaching. They knew what he stood for. They knew what he was about. And it was offensive to them. They hated him for it. And the other gospel writers, it doesn't tell us this in John 18, but the other gospel writers point out the fact that after he left Annas' house, and they said Caiaphas' house, that they bring up these false witnesses to tell lies about him. Jesus knowing all along. You see, in this, we see Jesus in his, his foreknowledge being demonstrated by John to be God. We see Jesus having power but holding back to, to humbly obey his sovereign Father, his heavenly Father, who has, because of Jesus, become our heavenly Father. We see Jesus over and over exalted to this place where, where he could have at any moment been in complete control, been, been at his, at his own, own whim. He could have done whatever he needed. But we see John showing that Jesus went into this voluntarily because of his great and deep love for his people. You see, and as we continue in the story, it doesn't really appear to get any better. Because as it all begins to unfold, we see these Jews that had this plan that they were going to defeat Jesus. We see Peter 
His, the, the leader of his followers. We see Peter of all people try to, try to go his own way and protect Jesus. And, and he, standing against hundreds, he wields a sword and he slices off this guy's ear. Whether it was on purpose or it was just a bad shot, I, I don't know. But he was going his own way. And we see that, that, that that's the tendency for all of us. We, we tend to think that we have this plan and this, this way that we can earn our own righteousness or this thing that we can do to present ourselves before God that, that makes us holy and makes us worthy and puts us in this place where we can earn some respect from Him. But it's never that. It's always His grace. You see, we see Jesus here. We see ourselves here. That's tough. It's tough to deal with that. It, it hurts to deal with that. But that's what the Scriptures show. That's, that's what begins to be revealed. And, and the truth is that as we see Jesus exposed today for, for even more of His person and even more of His role in, in, this, in this work, we're going to see ourselves exposed as well. And man, I just as we come to this, these are... These are difficult things for me to, for me to preach on. They're difficult things for me to think about because every time I think about coming to preach these things and every time I come to this place where I'm going to talk about this stuff, you know who it hits? Me. I can't stand up here and act as if I've got it all figured out. I can't stand up here and act as if, if I'm the one that's got it all together and I can't point my finger at you and, and, and simply say it's your fault. Because the truth is, is it exposes me. I am fallen. I am sick. I'm depraved. But by the grace of God, I am saved. And I worship Jesus. And I love Jesus. And I respond to Jesus because of what He's done. And over and over, that's the call. Over and over, that's what John is doing through his gospel. Look at this man, Jesus. See yourself. And respond to Him. And that is what we're going to see happen today. That's how the passage is going to unfold for us today. We pick up the story in John 18, verses 28 through 38. Jesus has been arrested. He's been tried by the Jews. The Jews had set out to, to prove that He was a blasphemer. They, they set out to prove that He was guilty of something. They, they questioned Him about His theology and about His um, uh, followers. They, they challenge Peter. Peter denies Jesus. In fact, he denies Jesus and curses and says, I never knew him. I am beep, beep, beep. And he runs out ashamed and crying. And as it continues to unfold, the Jews, thinking they've won, in chapter 28 says, or verse 28 of chapter 18, it says, then they led, him, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, If this man were not doing evil, would we not have delivered him to, over to you? And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? 
Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now there's a few things as we, as we unpack this, there's a few things I want you to take notice of. I mean, first we see Jesus having been hauled from place to place to place to, to prove his guilt so that the Jews could feel good about what they were doing and so that as they brought him to Pilate, they could bring condemnation on him. They were all about just getting rid of Jesus. They did not like Jesus. They hated him. In fact, if you, if you know the history behind Pilate and the Jews, to even imagine that they are going to Pilate to do this is a big thing. They hated Pilate. First off, I mean, he wasn't the first uh, prefect of, that, of, of, of Judea. He was about the fifth, I think, if I remember my history right. He was the fifth prefect in Judea of the Roman rule. And, and the Jews, it wasn't like they appreciated Roman rule. You know, they were their own people. They were God's people, and they didn't like people ruling over them. But it was tolerated. But see, when Pilate came in, he came in with this, this attitude that, hey, we're Romans and we're going to do what we want to do and we own this place and, and, and who cares what you think? And he comes in and rather than respecting them for who they were and, and their beliefs, he comes in there rubbing them in their face. For example, Pilate, uh, was the only prefect to, to his point anyway, and I don't know if it happened after, I didn't study after him, but, but up until the point of, of Pilate's rule in Judea, Every other prefect would come into Judea and they would remove the, the images of their emperor. See, the Romans were emperor worshipers. They, they worshipped the emperor. They believed he was a god. And so for them to carry that stuff and those images into Judea brought idols, you know, brought these, brought these graven images into Judea. And so rather than deal with the struggle, they, 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 they would meet in the middle and they would remove all of these graven images so that when they came in, that they would be able to, to, to rule while while giving up some of their own, but they would be able to rule over the people with some amount of co cooperation. P Pilate, when he comes in, he says, forget you. I don't care. He comes in carrying these things and, and just rubs it in their face. He doesn't care. In fact, Pilate, acting like a good leader would do, he, he steps up and he says, hey, Jerusalem needs more water. We're running short of water. Let's build some aqueducts. But with total disregard for the people, he doesn't bring the money from Roman, the Roman Empire. He goes to their temple and he steals the money and pays for the aqueducts out of the temple treasure. Couldn't care less about how, how, how they feel. Couldn't care less what it does to them. But it totally just, it, it just rubs them wrong. It, it, it makes them hate him. He is their enemy. In fact, there was at one point early on in his rule, because of the whole graven image thing, he, he gathers them up in this amphitheater and as, and then he surrounds the amphitheater by, uh, by, with, with soldiers and he says, all right, I'm just going to kill you all because you won't submit to my rule. And these Israelites, these Jews, they, they're like, okay, and they bare their necks because they're, they're seriously not going to have graven images. They hated him enough. The things that they stood for, they were willing to die for. And Pilate, he couldn't care less about them. 
And so as these men, as these Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, notice it's not, it's not like they're coming with this, this cooperative spirit. Oh, we always get along and we work together and everything. No, these people hated one another. There was tension. They couldn't stand one another. Pilate ruled with just this, this disregard for the people and the people only submitted because they didn't have any other choice. But they were always bribing and working and politicizing between one another. It was a mess. But they hated Jesus enough to bring Him there. They hated Jesus enough. They, they hated the problem that He had caused them enough. that They brought Him to Pilate. I want you to notice some things as, as, as we just kind of scan back through the, the, the Scriptures. And it, it says that uh, they take Him to Pilate. It says that as they take him there, you know, the, the, they, they get there and um, they, they won't go inside his house because they don't want to be found unclean. Now let's stop and just think about this. They have now, overnight, gathered and, and, and had a, a court tribunal. They have, they have done this inquisition and they have found this man guilty all under the cover of darkness with lies and deceit. They have not been able to name one thing, one charge against Jesus. They've brought false witnesses, the other gospel writers tell us. But they come to this man's house and they won't go in because they don't want to be unclean. You see, they have, they have built this web of lies and deceit. But there comes a line. There comes this place. I, I can't cross that line. Oh, we're holy and righteous people. We can't go in there because we want to continue to take part of the Passover. I want you to notice that, that as, as, as they walk up and, and Pilate comes out to meet them, he's like, what's wrong? What, what, what did he do? They don't have an answer immediately. They don't have any way to, to charge Jesus and say, okay, this is why we're bringing him to court. Well, would we have brought him to you if he was not evil? Would we accuse anyone wrongly? You know, you can hear this smug, self-righteous attitude just seeping from them. Are you accusing us of doing something unrighteous, unlawful? We wouldn't have brought him here if he hadn't been evil, if he hadn't done something wrong. You see, they couldn't name a thing against Jesus. And, and the other gospel writers, they, they make note that, that at this point, you know, Pilate is having this conversation with them. And, and the one thing is they kind of get their feet back under them as they're challenged by Pilate and they get their feet back under them. The other gospel writers let us know that that's when they begin to talk about that Jesus says he's a king. He claims to be a king. Well, obviously, that's going to put him at odds with the Roman emperor because there's only one king in their eyes. There's only one worthy to rule. And it's not Jesus. It's their emperor. And so, so you know, Jesus, Pilate comes back in and then he goes in and he says, he says, so wait a second. Now they're telling me you're a king. Are, are you a king? Are, are, are you what they say you are? Are you the, are you the king of the Jews? And, and he says, Jesus says, it's so clear and so cool. He just takes it and he says, who told you this? Did you learn this by, by yourself? Did, did you figure it out on your own? And Pilate's like, hey, don't question me. Your people brought you here. He says, I'm a king. 
He, he actually says, my kingdom's not of this world. Well, Pilate gets it. Pilate understands it. Pilate, Pilate has some clue about it. He doesn't understand what Jesus' kingdom is. We, we can't understand completely what Jesus' kingdom is from this verse that Jesus, from, from, from what he says in this statement. But we can clearly say that Jesus doesn't deny it. He claims to be a king. And not just a king by accident, but for that very purpose he came. You see, the Jews, though, man, they, 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 they would hear him teach that way. In fact, in the beginning, he talked this way. He told them, in fact, in Matthew chapter 4, 17, at the beginning of his, of his ministry, and as he stands up and begins to preach, as he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Luke chapter 4, 43, it says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, the, the, the kingdom of God was, it, that's what it was about. That's what, that's what Jesus had come to bring in. The work of Jesus does bring individual salvation. It does, it, it does make us holy and righteous by, by His work. We, we can trust in Him and we can be made holy and righteous, but it doesn't stop with just you. He's doing a work that's much bigger than just any one person. And He is a king. In fact, the Scriptures would say that He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, as we look forward to His coming back, in Revelations chapter 17, verse 14, it says, They will make war on the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. And the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. The Lord of lords and King of kings. Revelations 19.16, as he rides in on this white horse, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, whether you recognize it or not, whether you see it in him or not, Jesus is king. He is sovereign. He rules. And in this moment, just before the cross, when all things seem lost and all things seem to be coming apart, Jesus knows who He is and what He's come for. He knows that He is a ruling King. You see, the Jews didn't recognize it. They didn't get it. In fact, instead of dealing with Jesus, all they wanted to do was having him condemned and killed. In fact, look look back at how they approach Pilate. Look back at what they say to him. They say that, you know, Pilate says, and, 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 or I'm sorry, let me step back just a little bit. So Pilate entered his headquarters. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Hey, would we, wouldn't we, have, we wouldn't have brought him here if he hadn't done something wrong. Take him and do with him what you need to do with him. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You see, the point is, is that they didn't want any, they didn't want any other outcome but this. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. They wanted him dead. They wanted him gone. And they were bringing him to Pilate for this express purpose. Kill him. Kill him. We don't care what you think about him. We don't care what your opinion is of him. We want him dead. And it's not lawful for us to do it. Once again, Seeping of self-righteousness. Their plans to destroy this man for their own selfish motivations and for their own selfish purposes. But they weren't about to go in that house and become unclean. 
You see the difference? You see how Jesus sits? You see how Jesus is, is, is always there, accepting, receiving, dealing with all that comes to Him? Never once, never once do they come with some real charge except that, hey, He claims to be a king. I am. I am, He says. And I came for that very purpose to rule and to reign. <laughs> but they can't stand it and they want him dead. You see, the, the, it doesn't just stop there because Jesus, you know, what's really interesting to me about this passage is that Jesus wasn't just, wasn't just claiming to be a king. But as Jesus is sitting there, Pilate is, is questioning and, and they're dealing with the, the trouble that, that he's bringing. Jesus knew that this is the way it would be. You need to see it again. It says it in verse um, <clears throat> says it in verse thirty through thirty one. I think they they answered him, "If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you." Pilate said to them, "Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law." The Jews said to him, "It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death." Verse thirty two. Here it is. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus was sovereignly sitting there knowing that this moment would come. In fact, he prophesied about it in Mark chapter, four, Mark chapter 14. When he's on his way up to Jerusalem, let me find the verse and I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 33. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was, happened, what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Jesus knew that when he went into that garden that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he'd be tried by the Jews. And he knew that he was going to be standing in front of Pilate, handed over to the Gentiles, handed over to, to people who, who he didn't belong to, that, that had nothing against him, but, but were being used to, to work out this selfish selfishly motivated plan to get rid of him. He knew. He sat there with this divine knowledge, this prophetic knowledge, demonstrating that he was so much more than just a regular dude, just a regular man. He was God in flesh. You see, the thing is, is that this passage is replete with different places where we can see Jesus exalted. Not only was he being not only was he God prophesying about his own demise, not only was he king come to rule, but he is the, the one that was sent to reveal truth. As he answers Pilate, he tells Pilate, he says, hey, for this very purpose I came. For this very reason I came, because I'm a king. And I'm here to reveal the truth. I'm here to show you the truth. And, and you know, we talked about this last week. This, this truth... They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want any part of it. They didn't want anything to do with it. it it's offensive. Sometimes truth is, is like looking into a bright light after you've been in a dark room. It hurts. It's, it's, it's somewhat painful. But that's who Jesus was. That's why he had come. That's what he had come to do. And over and over and over, we see him by, by John exalted and lifted up. He is innocent. He is God. He is King. And he is the revealer of truth. Now, that's what it says. That's what it shows us about Jesus. But what do we see about those people? What do we see as those people brought him to, to Pilate? What do we see about them? 
self-righteous. And they, they had rules that they would break and they had rules that they would follow, but always, always on the outside, they were doing everything they could to present themselves holy and approved. They, they, they didn't care what, what was going on inside. They didn't, they didn't care that, that inside they were empty and dead as long as it looked good on the outside. We're not going to go into that house, but we're going to lie and we're going to cheat and we're going to steal. We're going to do whatever is necessary to work our own plans, to build our own, uh, our own plans. They were selfishly motivated. I mean, think about this. They didn't like Jesus because Jesus was breaking down their way of life. They didn't want to give up their way of life. All they cared about was what they wanted, what they desired, what, what they longed for. They weren't into listening to God anymore. They weren't into following Him completely anymore. And they were willing to do whatever was necessary to ensure that they could continue in it. You see, the hard thing is, and this is where it gets personal, is that as we sit here and we hear this story, you've heard it a hundred times. You've probably heard it, maybe if you've been in church, you've heard it over and over and over and over again. Jesus was arrested. He was condemned by the Jews and then condemned by the Gentiles and then hung on a cross. And boy, those people were terrible for doing that to him. If only we had been there, right? If only we had been there, we could have stopped them. We could have told them the truth, right? The reality is we wouldn't have. Because as we see Jesus exposed for who he was, the King of kings and Lord of lords, a prophetic God who knows all things, the revealer of truth would expose us some terrible things about us. See, the truth is that we often act in self-righteous ways. How is it that we act self-righteously? Well, I've got these rules in my life that protect me. Protect me from getting into places where I don't need to be. For example... I won't watch movies with, 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 with sexual content or nudity in them because I don't need to be in a place where I'm going to lust. So I've drawn a line. But you know the first thing that, that often pops into my mind if I hear another Christian talk about that they've gone and seen some movie that I just don't approve of? What's wrong with them? Don't they love Jesus? I'm better than they are. Am I the only one that does that? You see, we all got these rules that we love to live by that make us feel special, that keep us from sin. And they're, they're probably good rules. There's probably things that we need to limit ourselves from. There's probably things that we shouldn't do. But not one of those rules is what makes us righteous before God. Not one of those rules is what makes you acceptable to Him. You see, that's Jesus. It's always Jesus. Oh, come on. I, but I don't ever act in selfishly motivated ways. I mean, I do good things. Oh, you, you know, I, I love my neighbor as myself. In fact, I brought them cookies when they moved in. They thought I was a good person for that. And you don't, we, we don't act in selfishly motivated ways. You know, here's, here's one that, that, that's 
one I struggle with. Because we started this church and we're, and we're working diligently to see it grow and, and we're finding ways to engage new, new, new people and we're finding things to do. And as people come in and, and we've seen some growth happening over the last, last uh, couple of months, we're seeing new people kind of begin to plug in. Boy, look at this work I'm doing. It's hard for me not to get my chest all swole out. I'm a good person. And all of a sudden, that takes everything that God is doing in this place and makes it about me. Am I the only one that does that? Well, I'm not going to lie and cheat and steal to make sure that my, my, my desires go forward. I, I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as they did. You've never lied to make yourself feel better, to make yourself look better. How many of you have the correct weight on your driver's license? One. I mean, really. How, how many of us, how many of us are willing to let someone watch us every minute of the day? You know, I, I saw a Facebook post that just, it has boggled my mind. Put by a believer. Everyone needs a best friend who, after they die, will go and erase their computer history. Why? Because we lie and we cheat and we steal and we do what's necessary. Even when it looks like we're doing good, many times we're moving with selfish, self-righteous motivations. You see, the truth is, that we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Hey, go out and do those good things. Go out and live in a righteous and holy manner. Do the best you can. And, and when you make mistakes, turn to Him, repent, and say, Lord, I, I couldn't do it without You. I recognize that my identity is in You. I recognize that my hope is in You. I recognize that my salvation is in You. You see, that's what John's whole purpose was. It wasn't to sit and make us feel bad about ourselves, but it was to exalt Jesus so that we would know where to turn and know who to worship and know who to trust in. You see, I'm not here to, to condemn you and smack you down and make you feel terrible. I'm here to remind you that you and I need Jesus and that He is the only way. He is the only one worthy of worship. He is the only one worthy to be trusted. He is the only hope we have for life. We need to remember it at every step along our way. You see, I, I don't want you to walk out of here dealing with guilt because I, I hammered you. I want you to walk out of here celebrating because you trust in Christ. And because of Him, you have life. I want you walking out of here proclaiming this truth, not because of who you are and what you have done, but because of who He is and what He's done and what He's endured for you. I want you walking out of here loving Christ because you know without Him, you would still be all those things you've always been. And that you would have no way to overcome. I want you loving Christ and laying your life before Him and giving it up as a spiritual sacrifice that He might use you, that He might gain worship from you, and that people might come to know Him through you. 
Jesus. That's who it's all about. That's who it's always been about. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you. We thank you for sending your son. 